Hey everyone, this is Jason Crandall and I have a really quick announcement before you listen to this podcast. As many of you may not know, this podcast is also a video podcast on our YouTube channel, Jason Crandall Yoga on YouTube. So this particular episode is really driven by the visuals. There's just a lot of things I want to visually be able to demonstrate to you. So if you want to just listen here on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast, go for it, enjoy it. But to get the most of it, make sure to check out the YouTube channel, Jason Crandall Yoga YouTube. All right, everyone, thanks a ton as always for listening and maybe even watching. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here goes. Hey everyone, welcome to Yoga Land's Yoga Teacher Companion. I'm your host, Jason Crandall. And in this episode, I'm gonna break down the most effective ways of practicing, teaching, and troubleshooting pigeon pose. The first thing that we're gonna do is I'm gonna give you insight into the anatomy of this posture. And we're gonna make sure that we look at this four-part way of doing this pose that's incredibly effective for virtually all of our students. After that, I'm gonna talk through some of the most common challenges that in my experience, I need to help my students troubleshoot. And then I also wanna answer a couple of the really common questions that come up as I'm teaching this pose. First, a quick shameless plug for a course that I just released online. It's called Essential Yoga Anatomy, and it is an amazing supplement to the anatomy education that virtually everyone has received in their two and their 500 hour teacher training. Yoga anatomy is just something that in my experience, we need to come back to time and time again. This course is 30 hours long. It has a 60 pose gallery that the pigeon pose that we're about to look at comes from. It has nearly a 200 page manual and it's unbelievably effective and useful. So let's begin everybody by doing a detailed anatomical survey of this four part pigeon pose. We're gonna break down one of my favorite multiple combinations of pigeon pose. I call it the four way pigeon pose or Ekapadaraja Kapatasana variations. Now what's really important in this breakdown is that we assess the technique that we are applying. So each one of these four different phases will have a slightly different technique to go with the anatomy. This first phase is very active and upright. I treat it more as a back bend than a passive forward bend. So the gluteus maximus and deep external rotators on the front hip, they're stretching, but they're actually working isometrically in a lengthened position because you're pressing the floor down and away from you with that leg, activating those muscles. Your erector spinae are working isometrically. And also, because you're pressing very firmly into the floor with the back foot and shin, and because you're lifting and lengthening the torso, your hip flexors on the back leg, so in this image, the left leg, are lengthening. But they aren't passively lengthening. They're actually engaged in an isometrically lengthened position, especially your rectus femoris and your psoas. As we transition into the second phase of the pose, it changes remarkably. So instead of those outer hip muscles working in a lengthened position, now what we're gonna see is that those muscles just become passive and lengthened. So your gluteus maximus and your external rotators, including your piriformis, stretch, they lengthen. 
And if you have a little bit more restriction in your latissimus dorsi and teres major, you might also receive a stretch while you reach those arms overhead. And your erector spinae are also going to receive just a nice mild elongation in this second phase of the pose. In my experience, this third phase of the pose is incredibly overlooked. So the main thing that we're doing is we're changing the angle at which we are stretching the front hip. So just like the previous posture, you're still gonna be stretching your external rotators and your gluteus maximus. But when you base the forearm on the ground like I'm showing and you take your hand to the outside of the front knee and you lift and rotate your torso, you're gonna accentuate the stretch now in the outside of that front hip. So instead of being deeper in the posterior part of the hip, you're now gonna shift that opening a little bit more laterally to your abductors, especially your gluteus maximus. Your obliques and multifidi are working in this posture to help lengthen and rotate the spine. And then finally, if possible, you can add on an internal rotation of the top arm. If that doesn't work for you, you can skip it. But if you do add it, you're going to get a nice elongation in the supraspinatus, so one of the four rotator cuff muscles, and also the anterior deltoids. In the fourth and final phase of the pose, you're essentially going to do the opposite of what you did in the third phase. Instead of walking towards and rotating in the direction of the front leg, you're gonna walk away from the front leg. What this is gonna do, everybody, is it's gonna create more length in the external rotators. Now, you've already been stretching them this entire duration, or at least in phases two and three but you're gonna go a little bit more deeply into them into this final phase. So those six external rotators are the piriformis, the obturator internus, the obturator externus, the superior gemellus, the inferior gemellus, and the quadratus femoris, or simple enough, just call them the external rotators. You don't have to memorize all of those unless you're inclined towards. Finally, as you're walking your torso diagonally away from that front leg that you're stretching, many of you will also get a nice stretch on the right side of the lower back. So specifically, you'll tend to lengthen your quadratus lumborum on the right side and also the erector spinae on that same side as well. So remember, you have all of these options. You can do each of these four options together in one continuum like we looked at, or you can refine and work on them individually at a time. So now that we've layered out this four-part version of the posture, and I wanna encourage you, everybody, you don't have to teach all of these four parts every time you teach it, but man, for well over a decade, I just did the same pigeon pose the same way every time I practiced the pose and every time I taught the pose. And when we're not diversifying the way we're doing the posture, when we're not hitting that hip from different angles, I just don't think we're taking full advantage of what we can actually experience in the posture. So I wanna break down really essentially the three most common challenges or questions that come up. And the first one that I wanna address everybody is really pretty simple. It's where to put the front knee relative to the hip in pigeon pose. So watch everybody. We have a couple of choices. So I'm gonna angle myself in this camera so you can all see. So we have a couple of choices. When we lead with this leg, so right now I'm leading with my left leg, 
we can either keep the left knee in direct plane, in direct line with the left hip, right? So another way of kind of thinking about this is if I'm doing the pose, we can look down and this way of working, the thigh bone is parallel with the long end of the yoga mat, okay? So the knee and the hip are a straight line forward and that line is parallel to the side of the mat. That is an option. This is actually usually the option I take. The other option that we have everybody is to flare the leg a little bit so that the knee is wider than the hip. Technically, this is just called abduction or abduction of the femur. So what that looks like if I lead with my left leg is my left knee's wider out to the side than the hip. And really all I wanna say about this question, everybody, because it comes up a lot actually, especially in teacher trainings, both of those are equally good options for you and your students. One is not more safe or effective than the other. They are both equally viable options. The second big question that I get everybody is the angle of the shin relative to the thigh. So we just talked the position of the thigh bone relative to the hip. So now what we want to look at is the position of the shin bone relative to the thigh. So I'm going to give you essentially two answers in terms of what is the most effective or appropriate position, okay? So another way of thinking about this, everybody, if you're watching this on YouTube, like if you're seeing the video cast, um, and if you're not, you should totally be doing that. If you're just listening to this, it's nice. Maybe you enjoy the conversation, but this particular companion is really based on visuals. So look, everybody, right now, my left leg is leading, and if you're looking at me, you can see that my front leg, my left leg, that knee is pretty deeply flexed. It's more or less at an acute angle, okay? Now, I can also take the shin a little further away, right? I can also go so far as towards the shin, that front leg, the front knee is bent 90 degrees, and the front shin is actually parallel to the front edge of the mat and perpendicular to the long axis of the mat. So this is also a very viable option. So what is the difference and is one more safe than the other? If when you or your students are doing pigeon, the front knee is fine, it's safe. It, it doesn't matter if, if that front shin is all the way at a parallel to the front edge of the mat. If that front shin is making a 90 degree angle to the front thigh and the front knee is comfortable, it's safe. If that front knee is deeply flexed and it's comfortable, it's safe. If that front shin is halfway between full flexion and 90 degrees of flexion and it's comfortable, it's safe. So the angle of the front shin relative to the front thigh, as far as safety is concerned, is equally safe in all of those positions if the knee is comfortable. Now, finally, everybody, it's time for the big question. And the most important question and the one we're gonna have to troubleshoot, which is, what do we do with ourselves or with our students in pigeon pose when the front knee is not comfortable, when there's pain in the knee? 
If there's pain in the knee when you or your students do pigeon pose, we need to do it differently, period. Now, I'm going to break down the most effective, consistent, reliable way to do this in, in like two minutes. But before I do it, I want to give you the rationale because as a student, as a teacher, I don't want you to think about this in the wrong way, okay? I want you to have like an understanding and context why this next phase is gonna work so well for our students. And in order to do that, we need to understand the mechanism for why the knee hurts in pigeon when it hurts. So, one of the things that we want to understand is when we're doing pigeon, we don't want the shin to have significant independent rotation of the thigh bone, okay? We don't want the shin to rotate independently. Now, the shin does have the capacity to rotate safely relative to the thigh bone a small amount of degrees, but when our body weight's on it and we're kind of leveraging into the pose, if that shin starts to rotate independent of the thigh, it's, it's pretty common that that can create a torsional stress in the knee that we want to avoid. The other related challenge, everybody, is not just the rotation, but that, that shin can actually get a little bit tweaked one direction or another direction. So the shin can not only rotate, but it can sometimes jog medially or laterally. And that can create a simultaneous compression in one side of the knee joint and an excessive amount of stretch or tension in the ligaments on the other side. So the bottom line to this, everybody, is we want to settle on a configuration where the shin cannot rotate independently of the thigh bone and where the shin cannot move medially or laterally relative to the thigh bone. This is really important, everybody, because listen, flexing the foot is not a reliable answer to problems in pigeon pose because does flexing the foot affect the knee's capacity to rotate or have that shin move medially or laterally? No, because if you do this anatomy course with me, you will see that not one muscle that flexes the foot this direction, that dorsiflexes the foot, not one of those muscles crosses the knee. So now, you can always try. If someone's having discomfort in the knee in pigeon pose, you can always ask them to flex their foot, and if it helps, it helps. It, once in a while, it helps. I would say 10 to 20% of the time, it helps. But it's not a reliable mechanism because it doesn't protect against the primary problem that produces the knee pain in the first place. The primary problem that produces the knee pain pain is independent, excessive, non-desirable motion at the knee joint. So how do we address that? It's actually really simple. We get both the shin and the thigh to be in the same plane as each other, meaning the thigh bone and the shin bone are on the ground. Because look everybody, if my thigh bone and my shin bone are both completely on the ground. They, my shin can't move relative to my knee. They're on the same surface. 
they're resting on that same medium. So I can't get this lateral torque. I can't. And I also can't get these medial and lateral motions, okay? The challenge is getting to this position where the thigh and the shin are on the same plane if you don't know how. But if you do know how, this for 100% of your students is ridiculously simple. I'm gonna show it to you right now. And then I'm gonna have one more quick little video breakdown that's gonna be super helpful where I teach you a version of 90-90. We don't start in downward facing dog. We start in this really loose Baddha right? We just kind of stay like this. I get my shin so that it's perpendicular to my thigh before I go anywhere, right? I wanna get this and then watch what I do. I just lean all the way to a side like this. Now look, there's no stress on my hip. My shin bone and my thigh bone, they're in the same plane. I can point the foot, I can flex the foot, I can do whatever, but it doesn't really matter. So I get my shin and my thigh in the same plane. It's simple, there's no stress, but there's also no stretch yet. So now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna roll film for another video that is in my anatomy course. Um, and I'm gonna break down the 90-90 sit for you because it is such a reliable alternative to pigeon. In fact, a lot of people nowadays teach 90-90 sit even more than they teach pigeon because it can be a little bit more accessible to students with knee challenges. As I transition into 90-90 sit, you can see everybody that I'm already set up like I was demonstrating earlier. I'm all the way to the outside of my right thigh, my right hip, and my right shin. My right thigh and my right shin, they're in the exact same plane. They're both flush to the floor. So at this point, I really can't get any of that undesirable rotation or lateral motion in the front knee. Another thing that you're gonna notice is that my hips are not level. So it's unlike a conventional pigeon pose where we keep the hips level. It's okay that the pelvis is laterally shifted towards the forward leg. That's not gonna cause us any trouble. And for a lot of people, it's gonna help save that front knee. Another thing that you're gonna notice, everybody, is that the back leg is not straight. That back leg is bent in and it's slightly abducted. So what that's gonna do is that's just going to make it a little bit of an easier, more accessible stretch on the leading leg. You can always, once you get forward and down into the pose, you can always start to straighten that back leg in a more conventional pigeon pose arrangement if you prefer, but it's really not necessary. Let's look at another detail or two on the second side. As I transition forward, I want you to notice that I take the palm to the arch of the foot. As I'm doing that, I'm gently squeezing those two surfaces together. So the bottom of my left foot and my right palm are gently squeezing together in order to create a little bit more activation in those outer hip muscles that I'm stretching. This helps them be engaged so they're not just stretching, but they're also lengthening. The other thing is look at my far hand, my left hand. It's out like a wing or an outrigger. I take it way out to the side just to help balance me and keep my body weight centered so I'm going forward over the center of my shin instead of spilling off to the side. I hope all of this information is incredibly helpful for you. Pigeon pose can be so versatile and so valuable. There's no reason as a student and as a teacher you just have to do the same like one-off pigeon pose all the time. Everybody, incorporate this four-part pigeon into your practice and teaching right away. Your students are gonna love it. And then if they have challenges with it, hopefully you understand the mechanism of how to troubleshoot it. 
And as always, if you wanna learn more about anatomy and just feel a little bit more confident and comfortable in this aspect of your teaching, I would love for you to check out the course. The links are below. Otherwise, just keep sharing this information, make sure to subscribe and follow, and keep being well and helping your students live a good life. Thank you, everybody.